Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind. Every month we dig into the archives and view a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks. JJ and I watch it and have a very spoilery conversation about it. Today we're looking at Experimenter. This was Pete's pick from October 9th, 2015. Now before we go any farther, you should check out our ever-expanding back catalog for this show and its sibling shows over at thenextreel.com. 
If you've stumbled upon us, you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And whether you've just found us or have been listening for a while, you can be part of our community, supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the next reel. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Supporting us gets you into our Slack group where there's always a fun conversation going on. So for Experimenter, Pete was interested in this film due to his interest in Stanley Milgram, and he thought that this looked like an interesting film and noted that it had what he felt was a fantastic cast. He said it was interesting to see the story of a man that was worth learning about, and although we may not agree with whether his experiments were ethical, right, or good, we could learn a lot about the human condition due to his work. Andy mentioned that he was also intrigued by the cast, especially Jim Gaffigan in this film. Hmm. So, JJ, did you learn more about yourself or Milgram from this film? <laughs> uh, well, so I knew I I knew about the experiments, but I didn't know the name Stanley Milgram. So, I and I didn't know that he was. I, I knew about the obedience tests, right? Which is the sort of fulcrum for the story here. It's the real sort of basis of how he grows into fame or infamy, however you want to look at that. But I didn't know about, he also was the originator of the six degrees of separation theory and so many other things that really are sort of almost like uh, accepted realities for how we live today. It's almost like some of them have become cliche because they're so bandied about in the world, which I think is great. I was really surprised at the cast too. Uh, Surprised is the wrong word. I was really impressed with the cast and the people who signed up for this movie. And it was really interesting. It was really dynamically different than what I expected when I was coming into it. So in in general, you know, it was super artful and done in a way that you wouldn't expect for a movie that is really based on a kind of a biography, right? It almost felt like really a a fictional or dramatic way to look at something that was nonfiction. But uh, most of the metaphor and the stuff that they were really trying to get in that art just went over my head. It didn't bother me, though, because I found it really artful and I liked it. Um, It didn't teach me stuff about myself, but it did inspire me to do some reading (laughs) and to learn more, not about the uh, nonfiction stuff, but about the stuff that inspired him. Uh, A lot of times you'll see them actually reading in this movie and it it, uh, poetically or uh, in a really interesting way inspired him for the social psychology stuff that he was doing. The stuff that it really pointed me towards, though, was the current event stuff. Um, you know, everything that's going on right now about social movements and the kind of things where people are, whether it's obedience or whether it's the idea of following a flag uh, and what that means and, you know, doing what the others are doing around you, that, that this stuff is all of a sudden, again, super, super important to really examine in ourselves. And that's what really hit me hard, especially, you know, talking about specifically this week, and I'm not exactly sure where we're going to read Lisa's on the podcast, but the Charlottesville, Virginia events, it's just extremely profound and poignant right now. And that's how it hit me. How about you, Steve? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I knew about the obedience experiment. And what the story really does is it takes us from, you know, throughout his career and we get to see a lot of things like I didn't know about the six degrees of separation uh, and just so many other interesting studies on human nature, whether it was having someone stand outside and just look up in the sky to see how many people will start following this behavior just based on social pressures. And we even learn about some of his colleagues and some of their experiments. And it was just a very interesting exploration. To me, it felt almost like a, a 
narrated version of a documentary because it it is his story but it's so rooted in his work that it's a nice sort of overview or synopsis of his career and it just takes us through that systematically you know through these different phases and we get to see some you know aspects of his personal life and how they connect to what's going on but for me it was you know i wasn't sure what i was expecting but from early on it just sets a very specific tone uh, by having him narrate his story and he will tell us throughout uh, the film you know his his work and its influence and how some of these experiments have been recreated and the results have been proven again and again that you know particularly in the obedience experiments he mentions that you know it was done on a, on a French game show just sort of the cultural influence that his work has had and how it continues to exist to this day even though at the time there were you know, he was really, uh, I guess, not welcomed into the community because of there were questions about the ethical nature of the obedience experiment because the people that were actually the subjects weren't aware of their role in the experiment. How did you feel about that? How do you feel about that question? Because I feel like that question is, it's central to Stanley Milgram's life, but I also think that they're trying to examine that a little bit in this movie. Oh, well, it's, you know, anytime you observe something, you influence it. I think he was trying to uh, remove that factor out of an experiment. If someone knows that they are part of an experiment, their behavior, you know, is going to change because they know that their actions are being observed or the decisions they make are going to be evaluated and judged. I mean, just as with there's, you know, a certain amount of... um, room for unreliability in surveys because once you ask a person a question and they how truthful will they be when they know that although it's anonymous you know are they going to be honest with themselves about you know what they're going to check on that box when they're in the doctor's office of you know how many drinks have you had this week and how do you smoke cigarettes yes or no how truthful are people in that and i think that sense of being observed can alter our behaviors so i think his attempts to do that uh were purely science driven in terms of I want to get the most authentic response from people, uh, but it does call into question, you know, what responsibility to have those people because the situation they were in was a very stressful and, you know, I guess, troubling situation that they were put in. It wasn't just that they were asked to do something. They were asked to do something that is pretty horrific. Well, and there's an irony in that too, right? So as he's being questioned about the ethics or the validity of his survey, what he, what, or, or his, the experiment, he actually produces a survey and quotes the statistics. This is when he's up for tenure track. Yes. And he quotes the statistics of how people responded to the survey. But I feel like that's truly ironic because what he learned in the experiment was that people will perform based on how they are supposed to perform. So because they were still in the environment or very freshly out of the environment when they took the survey, the numbers are actually pretty skewed if you think about that they're still trying to please or do what the experimenters or the the, the gray lab coat guy wants them yeah. to do. So it's, it's interesting and ironic that he discovered this piece of obedience, but then tried to defend himself by using numbers that actually could be skewed by that same obedience. Yes. I mean, it's, 
whatever you are sort of monitoring or, or testing the limits of you know human nature and behavior, uh, you, you get interesting results. And what I found really interesting in this story was he became so known for you know the obedience experiment and just the the ethical questions because of how the true nature of the experiment was was concealed from the people that took the role of the teacher and had to deliver the electric shocks that later on in his career, uh, we have a scene where he, we see him walk into a classroom and he announces that President Kennedy has been shot. President Kennedy's been shot. He was shot in the motorcade in Dallas. He was shot in the head. It's Milburn. That's just another one of his experiments. Yes. Kelly, you've got that radio, yeah? Turn it on. It's rigged a fake broadcast like Orson Welles. I have. I wonder what the experiment's really about. This is real. He was in a position where now people would start to question what was real. Right. And and that felt really artful, too. That might be anecdotal about Milgram's life. That might have actually happened. But I think it's an interesting choice to put that in the film and then leave basically just a silent sort of walk away. You see Sarsgaard react to it in the class kind of a, oh, what have I done here, right, with with human behavior, and then walking away and seeing the effects of Kennedy's assassination on people not associated with the class. But the film just allows you to figure out what your interpretation as a viewer is of that scene. It doesn't really put anything forward saying, this affected Milgram in X way or Y way, which I think is interesting. I, I, I thought that was a really profound scene, too. I would have loved to see more of how that affected him. But I don't think that necessarily that was the nature of this film. I think the artful romanticizing of those moments in his life were really meant to be shown in a dramatic way to say, this is how profoundly he affected the immediate environment around him and then America as a whole, really the world as a whole, when you talk about social science. So we've been talking a lot about sort of his experiments, his life. We've talked, you talked about Sarsgaard and his role, you know, one thing that struck me really is the way this film is set up because it's, it's not a traditional narrative. There's a lot of breaking that fourth wall where Milgram is addressing the audience. He's narrating his, his own story. So he's narrating his story. But beyond that, even what I found interesting was the structure of how, the film is edited together because we start with our our opening shot is in the lab. A doctor comes in. We we see you know the introduction to the experiment that most of us have heard of or are slightly familiar with this experiment. If we even if we don't know who is involved or what the exact nature was, we know that there was an experiment where people supposedly electrocuted other people uh, because someone told them to. But then we get that interwoven with his meeting with his uh, woman that ultimately he's going to become married to his wife, who's played by Winona Ryder. But then we start to I started to get the sense that we were in sort of this hyper real setting because there's one point where they're in the hallway of the university and there's like this elephant just yep. walking in the background. And my wife looks at me and she says, 
Is that the elephant in the room? It well, in the first <laughs> the first time they used it, I think that was definitely clear. The second time they used it, I, this this is where I started getting mixed into the metaphors, where I was yes. like, ah, what are they talking about? And then it was gone, right? And another sort of artful depiction of what was happening in the life came up, so I kind of got lost. That being said. I think that's the only interpretation you can have when right. you see that. <laughs> and those kind of, I don't even want to call them plot points, those kinds of, story, that kind of storytelling is kind of what makes this film special, I think. Yeah, because I thought, you know, when I was finished with it, as I, you know, as I said earlier, it's sort of like a documentary. It, it lays out these facts, but it, it's doing it in a very sort of sterile manner because I, I don't feel that I'm being asked to really identify with him. And I think Sarsgaard's performance goes along with that. He's a very cold presentation of this information. And then we get scenes where... And I, I struggled with, is it because of the era that it was set in or if this was another stylistic choice of, so we've got Stanley and his wife driving over to, you know, visit some friends and it's all rear projection, you know, as if it was shot in the you know 50s or 60s, they're in the car and it's the projection screens on the sides and the back. I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then they get out of the car and they're standing clearly on a stage next to a car with a big screen behind it projecting the house. And then when we get into the house, it's just them sitting at a dinner table and the whole, there is no house. It's just the screen behind them of a projection of the interior of a house. And I thought, okay, it made sense in the car because maybe that's of the time to give us a sense of, yeah, we're in the you know early 60s here. But then I started to question that choice to have an entire scene where they're having a conversation where we're not in a very realistic setting. It's it's trying to set some type of tone. And I was trying to figure out how I was supposed to feel about that or how I'm supposed to interpret why this particular scene is being presented this way. Right. And that gets into the metaphor of it. And that's yeah. the kind of piece where I was lost. But I did appreciate it because it felt like film as art. I I think that those scenes in particular, you know, you're talking about the, the facade of the background. I think it has to do with perception and reality. And it probably can be traced back to the idea of our own perception of how we would perform in the obedience test or our perception of how we think the general public would perform, whether or not that's real or not, and how we're actually living through the facade of that. But again, this is me taking a leap because I wasn't able to connect it in the film. I was just able to appreciate the art of what was being presented for me. Well, and I, I think you touch on the point of perception because I, I wondered if it was, is this a way to visually portray this is perhaps Milgram's memory of it, so it's not 100% faithful to reality because we're getting his construction as he remembers this scene versus what we see in the experiment when we're in the lab, which is we are there. This is a very realistic setting. This is what happened. However, this dinner scene, maybe not 100% real. Maybe this is a, a scene that had to be constructed together to convey this information. So we're getting something that's less than 100% real. That's definitely possible. And so, I I, I yeah. think that that's kind of the beauty of this film. A, a person who's watching it will appreciate it if it, I, I mean, when you first think of the subject matter, you don't think this film is going to be very deep. You don't yeah. think that it's going to take that sort of dramatic view of this. It looks, it looks almost documentarian in the way that it's going to be pronounced from its subject matter, but it really is done in an artful way. It's, 
it's special in that regard. I've never seen anything like this movie before. Yeah, it, it really caught me off guard because it wasn't what I expected. It it grabbed me from the beginning because we're we're right in there in the experiment and we see the setup as we're introduced to sort of his team. And I thought, okay, this it was taking its time. It was it was showing us everything, and I it, it got me hooked there. But then as we started altering reality and, and getting into these other spaces, it really kept me captivated with where we were going with the story. And I thought it was a way to be artful, as you've said, in, in telling the story, while I think also giving us, uh, for me, it was something engaging to be thinking about as I was watching it, because the, the substance of the story is really straightforward. There's not a whole lot of uh, plot to keep track of. We're just sort of following, you know, through these key points in his life and in his career as he gains notoriety due to the obedience experiments. And then as he, you know, pursues his career in academia and, and his other experiments that we learn more about, it's really, you know, we're getting a, a fact dump of here's these important events, but we don't have a lot of, you know, character arc or story or development going along to keep us engaged. So I think those artful decisions, for me at least, helped keep me engaged and interested in the story that was being presented to me. And I think that's one of the key sort of beautiful things about this movie. Uh, the, the film that I kept thinking about when I was watching this was A Beautiful Mind, which is told in oh, a completely okay. different way yeah. and uh, it obviously deals with some some mental illness issues as well. And so it's told in a very creative and, and beautiful way in that movie. This one doesn't have that kind of character arc, right? I mean, right. the way that they're yeah. going, that they're trying to tell the story, it, it feels like, I, I, I really feel like the writer and director, you know, the one and the same, really appreciated Milgram's story and wanted to treat it with care in the way that it really presents itself to someone who is an objective observer of what he's done. Uh, as opposed to where you see late in the film where they uh, make the CD CBS adaptation of the experiments <laughs> and they fictionalize yes. a person of color as being part of the experiments uh, and they uh, and they create drama of like having to hold people back from rushing around, yes. like that kind of stuff. So I think that's, I think that was it. It came through as something that was uh, an appreciation of the subject matter, and and I really respected that from the filmmaker. So we've, you know, Peter Sarsgaard is really our key through this whole story. Where you know he's Stanley Milgram, he's narrating his story, and but early on we we start to see we get a, a cast of familiar faces uh, in this film. Uh, early on we meet his uh, soon-to-be wife. Uh, Alexandra Sasha, who is uh, played by Winona Ryder. Uh, we have Jim Gaffigan, who's one of the team that's uh, responsible for the experiments. He's the man in the box uh, that's screaming out in pain. We have Anthony Edwards. <laughs> we have Anthony Edwards. We have Anton Yelchin. We have John Leguizamo. There were just so many faces. Tamron Manning. Yeah, yes. There great, there, great yeah, and just little you know maybe just there for a scene or two it's it's a large cast with you know but a lot of i want to say small parts uh but there's so much that they have to convey because of the nature of the roles they're playing you know anton yelchin plays i believe the the one man who refuses to continue on because he has worked with electricity 
and he knows what that really feels like. That and was the, Yelchin. See, yes. I get, with the mustache, I with didn't mustache. even recognize yes. him. That makes sense. You know, and there's, I think, you know, for these actors in just a small amount of time to be able to portray that inner sort of turmoil and strife that people are struggling with. Uh, Taryn Manning, you know, she's, you know, when they finally get women to be involved in the experiments, she actually turns the box off yeah, uh, because she just doesn't, doesn't want to go any further. And the, the, the doctor says, did you, did you turn the machine off? And she sort of is flustered and trying to, to justify her reasoning. He tells her she must go on. So she starts to, you know, move forward with the next question and answers. And then he prompts her and says, well, you know, you need to turn the box back on. She, right. You know, there's so much that's conveyed in just minor mannerisms and expressions for each of these people that I think were crucial to this film being successful because of it could so easily, you know, veer off into melodrama or something ridiculous, but it, it maintains the gravity, I think, because of this cast and keeping things grounded in, you know, serious exploration of human nature. Yeah, I thought Leguizamo was great. And oh, I, and, yeah. and for his, I mean, literally, it felt like a cameo. All, yeah. all of the all of the casting, other than Winona Ryder and Peter Sarsgaard, kind of feels like a cameo here. But uh, Sarsgaard was great. He conveyed the perfect mix of dispassion and depth of emotion, which seems like a really subtle thing that I don't think most people would do. But at, at the same time, I thought he was super internally emotional and externally dispassionate. I, I bought into it. I, I thought he did a great job. And um, I'm not always a huge fan of everything he does, but I thought he was perfect in this role. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, as I said, there's a certain coldness to him that, that I don't know if that's truly what his personality was like. Uh, but I think it, it was very fitting for the way this story was was told. And then the the dynamics of his relationship with his wife uh, over time to sort of see how, you know, she's interested in the experiment. And then later on when it gets to the TV adaptation and he finds himself in a situation where he's really sort of signed over the rights, uh, you know, they're, they're fictionalizing it. So he has no ability to, you know, hold them accountable for being faithful to his experiments because they're now going to fictionalize it and they have you know William Shatner and and Ozzie Davis and the made for TV CBS you know story of the experiment and <laughs> that's where you see this the conflict where she, you know she knows how strongly he identifies with that work and how important it is to him and for him to allow that to be turned into something that she knows is not authentic and an accurate representation and he's like you know hey I got I got the money and it's fictional, so it doesn't matter to me and I've got to pay the bills. Yeah. Where she seems, you know, much more focused on you, you know, maintaining the integrity. It's his reputation at stake. Yep, yep. And that's it, it, that that drama is delivered yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Oh man, there's oh. other people here too. You've got Kellen oh. Lutz. Oh, there's it's there's just it's, it's which it's, is uh, Emmett from the Twilight movies, yes. and he plays Shatner, which and yes. he doesn't do a Shatner impersonation. No, he doesn't, which I would, <laughs> exactly. like because you would never expect that. And then Dennis Haysbert, who we just we saw just, uh, as Roland's father yes. in the Dark Tower, is Aussie or Aussie yeah, Davis, right? Yeah, uh, the 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 black best friend, yes. which is what they called him uh, <laughs> for the uh, dramatization by CBS. Uh, it's a great cast. I you know I've been looking. 
as we're talking here, I've been looking to try to figure out how or why the cast bought into it because it's a relatively small film, right? Yeah. It's not, I mean, the total box office, I think they said was $128,000 or something <laughs> like this. I mean, it was tiny, but the movie's great and the cast is amazing. So I'm trying to figure out how everyone bought into it. And, you know, it, I don't see anything written on the web about it in specific. Do you know anything about it? No, I think, you know, if well, as we said, a lot of these performances are cameos. It's something they could go in you know, do in a day and be part of, you know, I mean, if you really believe in the power and importance of, of Milgram's work, uh, to be a part of that and bringing that, you know, story to the screen for people to see and to understand the importance of his work. I think, you know, yeah, for a lot of them, I'd be, you know, it's a day or two of work, you know, perhaps to be yeah. part. And I think, you know, as I said, you know, a lot of the, the intensity of these scenes to have, have something you know, really meaty to work with, to, to delve into, to really stretch uh, as an actor and get something like that in such a short scene and be able to pull that off, you know, it's a, you know, a challenge. Oh, and okay, the wife of the old professor yeah. is Lori Singer? Singer? Yeah. From Footloose? Yes. Like, wow. It just keeps I going. Mean, just, yeah. yeah, it's great. I just, and I'm, so now I'm checking out the cinematographer, right? I'm trying to find, because that's one of the things that's super special in this movie too. My favorite shot of the film is a really weird kind of cutaway scene where, uh, where Milgram, Milgram and his uh, professor buddy are standing with, in shadow, looking out over a hallway in this huge elaborate, it's kind of a window, but it's not really, it's not painted glass. It's right. just a, an elaborate cutout. And the shot is, it is rising up very slowly as they have this conversation in silhouette about the frustrations of trying to get tenure and how bad it is. And his friend then uh, sort of confesses to him that he's going through a divorce <laughs> yeah. after Milgram yeah. explains that he thinks that the person who kind of made the decision on his tenure track was going through a divorce. I mean, and it just slowly is raising this whole time. And these little camera moves, this really special beauty that you see in this film, it's it's a really special movie for being so small. Oh, yeah. And, you know, speaking of, you know, his, his colleague in tenure, and they talk about the, the experiment that he conducted, which was sort of that that peer pressure experiment uh, where it's like, oh, yeah. which line is longer? And then he, then Milgram talks about, oh, you know, they recreated this in the 70s. And then we get, you know, sort of, you know, 70s, you know, style, you know, footage of a classroom, kids dressed up like it's, it's like we're, they're recreating within the movie, within the movie, the experiment to show us, right. you know, as if, and, and maybe it is footage of the actual well, sometimes recreation. they did have the yeah. actual footage. So, and that's where it's hard to tell because Which they is did great. such a good job, you know, of, yeah. of the look and feel of, of, you know, is, are you recreating something to look like it was shot in the seventies or is this actual footage of students at the time? It's, Love it. you know, you're so pulled into, and I think, you know, this is, um, you know, a, it's the visuals that keep this one going. And I, I'm, I'm looking at the cinematographer, Ryan, it's either Samuel or Samuel. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it looks like horror films mostly. Right. Um, which and relatively small. And relatively films. small Nothing horror big. films, yes. Great. Yeah, I, I think he was given, you know, just some freedom to, to go. And, I you know, and again, working with the director's vision on this of, of how the tone worked. But I think there was so much uh, strength in the visuals that kept this moving along is, is really this, you know, that and the performances as makes this worth watching. Yeah. It's a really creative movie. Yes. And that's really special 
considering what most people have to watch today. Well, yeah, and uh, music, I didn't have anything memorable or noteworthy that struck out to me, but again, that's not one of my strengths when it comes to looking at, at films, so I didn't know if there was anything in the music that struck you. The, the only thing I noticed were the music cues of the familiar songs, the classical stuff that they used, and it didn't seem to necessarily point to anything to me. So, um, yeah, it was it was nondescript for me as well. So, you know, we, we do look at first shot, last shot. And as I said earlier, our, our first shot is there in the in the lab. And uh, so I noted it's, it's it is a long sort of tracking shot as we have the doctor lead in the two men and we we sort of see the setup for the situation of one's going to be a teacher, one's going to be a learner. And that long shot lasts until we cut to Milgram, who's viewing from behind the two-way mirror. So that's where he spends yeah. his time, you know, observing everything. Uh, and that's where we get a lot of his commentary. Will he return and talk to the camera to tell us, oh, now is here where it really gets interesting. Uh, but our last shot is um, him in the lab resetting the machine. And he's turning to um, Sasha, who's in the observation room and he's just waving to her from the two-way mirror so he's moved from being the observer to now in the lab and i actually want to read the last lines here they're on imdb they do they do this sort of traditional sort of real life wrap up right they talk about sasha where she lives and they actually show sasha in yes. real life yes participating in an example of one of uh, Stanley's experiments. And then they talk about how the obedience experiments went on and, and sort of their, you know, ubiqui ubiquitous nature in culture uh, today. And then the last lines are really interesting for that visual, right? So she's in there in the place where that took place, where the experiment took place. He's looking through the glass at her uh, and she can't see him, right? Cause it's a window on the other side. And he says, you could say we're puppets, but I believe that we are puppets with perception, with awareness. Sometimes we can see the strings, and perhaps our awareness is the first step in our liberation. And then she does the little wave. Yeah. It, it, that's really great. I mean, that was really deep. And I don't know if there's necessarily a connection between first shot, last shot, but the interesting thing about the first shot and the scene that's doing everything for the first shot is that it's intercut with her, with his and her first meeting. Yes. So there's a greater story, or uh, greater is the wrong word, there's a, there's a through line in this story that is about their relationship. And I think that's really special too. And then talking about, his inspiration. There's also one of the things that inspired me in this was at one point he was reading a book by Nabokov, which is actually uh, an, um, an autobiography of Nabokov, which was partially fictional and partially uh, autobiographical. Mm -hmm. And when Nabokov released it, it was unclear to the world what was true and what was not, which is really interesting yes. when you consider it in relationship to this movie. And he puts out a quote about that. And I've actually added it to my reading list now because that's kind of a special thing. And I feel like that that was the frame with which the filmmakers gave us this film. They gave us a bunch of stuff that was accurate and historical with a very artful, dramatic flair that one could say maybe happened, maybe it didn't, <laughs> but I can guarantee that elephant walking down the hall didn't happen. <laughs> so, no, uh, so with yeah. those pieces, I, I just think are really special. And I, I was really affected by the way that they tied this together. Again, the creativity of this film was really special and staggering. All right. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I, it's again, you know, it's, it's why I love doing these trailer rewinds is, is, is coming yeah. across these little films that aren't high Everybody on your, missed. yeah, they're not high on your radar, but they're, they're, there's little gems there. 
you know, in yeah. these things that make me I'm glad I discovered this film. It's something that I'm going to say, you know, hey, if you're interested in this. And I think, you know, particularly now, as you said, this is his work is really interesting to look at what it tells us about human nature behavior. I mean, there's so many other experiments he, he gets into. Uh, it, I felt like they they could have spent more i wanted more about them and it sort of left me wanting to go in to say okay i know about six degrees of separation but then he was doing other things the singing on the bus experiment the familiar stranger experiment of learning that you know people at bus stops that they start to you know sort of create stories about the the strangers around them uh just interesting you know stories that i thought it's you know giving me things to add to, to my reading list as well so it's, right, the nature of our, uh, us being critical of ourselves when we see ourselves in photo, photographs. Yes. I mean, that kind oh, of stuff yeah. is really yes. interesting. So, oh, do, wait, do you think Pete or Andy saw it? I, I, I they didn't haven't mentioned it. They haven't mentioned yeah. it, and I, you know, this was one when they talked about it. It was coming out like the following week. I think it was primarily like you know video on demand release. So I, I don't know that it sure. made it into theaters much. But I have a feeling this is one that. Uh, that they haven't, because I, I, like I said, I don't think there's a big draw for this one. I, although Pete was very excited to see Doctor Green, you know Anthony Edwards, <laughs> um, you know, in something yes. again. But again, like I said, Cameo. there are familiar faces. There's every reason to see this, but I think it's just not knowing what type of film you're going to get out of this. And yeah. Anthony Edwards was great too. Oh, I don't mean to go back, no. but that's the thing. I actually questioned whether or not it was Anthony Edwards when I saw him. Oh, because I was like, that looks so much like <laughs> Anthony Edwards, but he was doing something different. different. Yes, and he the acting was really special yeah. in this film. So that's yeah. I don't think they've seen any there. I think, and I think anyone who loves creativity yeah. in film and really wants to take take a look at something that's uh, an an extra level way of storytelling is going to really like oh. this movie. And it's a great Netflix watch. Definitely. So. Saying that, where did it end up on your flick chart when you ranked it? Oh, so yeah, let me jump over to that. So in flick chart, it was really interesting because it's because of it, yeah. it's kind of bland subject matter. Oh yeah, to be yeah. honest, it's a challenge. And all of the wins I was giving it was really just because of how creative it was. So it, it ends up in a strange place. It definitely got to the top end of my chart, but the the second battle that it had was against the Godfather. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that there's any way that I can say <laughs> that this movie is, is better than that. That being said, it goes over... Now, I like the second Thor movie a lot more than yeah. everybody else, but it's 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 above Thor, the Dark World, and below the Godfather. So if you eliminate the Thor, the Dark World thing, then the next one down is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, okay. Which I think is actually kind of, that's where it kind of makes sense, yeah. right? You're telling a story in a new artful way, yeah. and I think that's a perfect place for it to be. So that's number 70 out of 154. Okay. See, I had, I had a challenge just right off the start with this because it went up against Get Out. And, oh, and, sure. and so, you know, it, another, you know, strong, <sighs> so it, I, I couldn't put it over, get out. That's a terrible one to have yeah, in the middle. It, for you. it is. So it, it got condemned to the bottom half because of that. Yeah. I said, oh, I feel like this should be higher, but yeah, get out being there right in the middle is right now until I, Polarizing. Until I yes, exactly. And it was interesting because I looked at both these saying, you know, they're telling us so much about human nature and society and, uh, but for me, Get yeah. Out was far more entertaining. So it it stumbled around in the bottom and it ended up, and this was really interesting, ended up just below Comet. Okay. And then another one that we did another in our one, trailer. And then uh, so that it's just below Comet and just above Terrence Malick's To the Wonder. 
which I had also okay. seen on Netflix. So it's 209 out of 267. Yeah. So I, I feel like it deserves to be higher because of the artfulness, but the story, it's one where I think if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to watch sequences for the visuals in them. To, right. But the story, again, there's I got the information that I needed out of it. There's not a lot to draw me back in to take. I don't have an emotional reaction to this film. It's more of an intellectual reaction to the film. Yep. Yeah, and now that being said, I will actually give it a pretty high ranking on Letterboxd because of everything they did from a filmmaking standpoint on this one. So I would actually give it probably like a four star rating, um, even though I can't I, I can't literally compare it to those really sort of dramatic masterpieces that are out there. Um, but it, as far as entertainment value, but I'm really happy that this film was made, and I'm really happy that we chose it for this. So I give it four stars. See, I'm I'm close. I'm right at three and a half stars on that because sure. I. I, I I can't let this film be overlooked. I, I want to share it with people and yeah. but warn them ahead of time. You're going to enjoy this one time. And <laughs> but that's probably that's, a that's, good way that's to a say probably it. that's probably about it. But uh, yeah, it's something that I that I, I really enjoyed and uh, it's again another one of those pleasant surprises. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think that's that's special. I think it's, you know, like you said, clips YouTube clips to show the special visuals and then potentially some of the cool quotes as well. All right. Well, going to wrap us up here. If you haven't already, everybody out there listening, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps other film fans discover us just as we're discovering these little gems of films. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And even better, you can help The Next Reel by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com. The Next Reel. A reward was just added. The Saturday Matinee, which is a, yes. a new weekly short exclusive to Patreon supporters. But the best thing you can do is go watch a movie with a friend and sit down and have a conversation about it. And if it's one of the films that we've discussed on any of our shows, let us know about it. We love hearing from you. Hondo. <laughs> Good night, Steve. Good night. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.